It's time to take control of your money, your health, your time, and your life. I'm Rachel Neighbors. I'm Jeff Neighbors. Welcome to Self-Directed Life. All right. This is a topic that is near and dear to everybody's hearts and minds, which is making a bunch of money, right? Profit. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with making a bunch of money. First off, it's very ethical because you can only help people to the extent that you have the resources to help them. You know, I had a mentor that told me a drowning person cannot save another drowning person. So if you see people out there in need, then step one, grow wealth. And step two, use your wealth to help people in need. Okay, so the the topic here is really Bitcoin, okay, and why and how to buy Bitcoin before May 12th, 2020. That's here in just a couple of weeks. We're recording this on April 29th, and on May 12th, there's an event that is going to happen with Bitcoin, and the best information that we have in our research tells us that this event is going to send Bitcoin from $8,500 per Bitcoin to over $100,000 per Bitcoin. So hold on. Uh, you're not saying that on May 13th, it's going to be like $100,000, right? No. Okay. We're talking about on May 12th, where there's an event that will set Bitcoin on the path to over a period of maybe about a year to go from where it is now at under ten thousand to over a hundred thousand. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's a big a big big claim. So, um, what is that event that's going to potentially do that? So we're going to break this uh, down into three parts. Okay. What is the opportunity here? Does it really work? Does Bitcoin really do this kind of thing in a portfolio? And can you do it? How can you do this successfully? Yeah. What does it take to do it successfully? So what is it? Does it work? And can you do it? So first off, what is it? This event is programmed into the Bitcoin software where the amount of new Bitcoin that is printed or minted and put out into circulation into the hands of Bitcoin miners is getting cut in half. So right now, every day, 1,800 Bitcoins are minted and given to miners and then sold off onto the marketplace so that miners can pay their power bills for running their fancy computers. Right. And as of May 12th and beyond, it's only going to be 900 Bitcoin that are newly minted. So that's kind of that's kind of crazy because, it, you know, cut in half, I guess what my first thought is if the demand remains the same, but now the supply is going down, that's one way the price will go up, right? Yes. Now, what's not so here's what we're doing. What is it? Yeah. Does it work? Yeah. And can I do it? Okay. So what is it is an opportunity. Okay. The opportunity to take every, you know, eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars, whatever it is when you hear this, and be able to ride the remainder of that Bitcoin price appreciation up to a hundred thousand. So if by the time you're hearing this, it's you know late twenty twenty and Bitcoin's at fifty thousand, you should know that the fundamental supply and demand research indicates that the ride is only half over, that it's still going to 100,000. And believe it or not, there's actually another halving event in 2024 that is projected to take Bitcoin from 100,000 to $1 million. Wow. So if you look at the next eight uh, years, 
or actually, no, if you look at the next five years, basically, over the course of the next five years, Bitcoin is going to go from under $10,000 to over $1 million if our research proves to be correct. Now, before we continue on, in terms of what is it, we have to understand what Bitcoin is because almost everybody has a misunderstanding of what Bitcoin is. Okay, Bitcoin is new. And the first thing that we have to understand about things that are new is our brains are designed to keep us alive. They're designed for survival. So if whatever you've been doing for the past year or 10 years has worked to survive, then your brain is going to try to get you to just keep doing things the same way. That means that we're afraid of change. Our brains are wired as human beings to be afraid of change. But when there's change happening in the world and something new comes along and it's in your favor, your brain is going to trick you into being afraid of it when you should embrace it. Right now, we should all be embracing Bitcoin, even though our brains are telling us we shouldn't. So the goal of this podcast is to accelerate your accelerate through the process so that you can go from you know denial doubt dismissal of bitcoin to open-minded learning right so in 2009 when i saw bitcoin launch i thought that'll never work and then later it was worth a lot more it was still there and i went oh man i didn't buy bitcoin when it was at a penny i didn't mind bitcoin when i could hook my computer up to do it and so i lost myself tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars by having years pass between when I first dismissed Bitcoin and when I first bought Bitcoin. So that's a process that we all can go through. But now what I want to do is I want to, for you as a listener, I want to accelerate that process so that if you're still listening, it means that you were already a long time in the past by months or years, previously already dismissed Bitcoin and expected it to fail and never amount to anything it's still here. It's still going up on an upward trajectory. But you need to understand what Bitcoin is. Otherwise, it'll never make any sense to you why you should have it. Bitcoin is an insurance policy against our financial system falling apart. So we're sitting here in the middle of a very severe financial crisis. And there are two ways this can go. Our financial system can get patched up and be good as new, and we can continue on just like we were for the past 10, 20, 30 years, or the financial system could really fall apart worse than 2008, and we could be in a bigger crisis. We could even have a failure of the dollar itself. Now, that's become unthinkable but it's a real risk. So not only is your brain wired to make you afraid of the things that you should embrace, and by the way, when when your brain makes you afraid of things that are new, it's oftentimes right. A protection mechanism, Yeah, like new, new scams come out all the time. You know, most new things that people talk to you about and say, you could put a dollar in and make $100,000 out. Yeah, it's probably gonna be a scam. 99.99% of things that... Are, are told that way and you're introduced, look at this, turn a dollar to a million. 99% of those things are a scam. So you could say that your brain is doing a good job by dismissing those, but Bitcoin is the diamond in the rough. 
This is the one that deserves a closer look. But you have to understand the, the solution that Bitcoin is, is a solution to a problem that is easily confused out there. And the problem is that there is real potential for our financial system to fall apart. And not because anybody wants it to fall apart. But if you go and you look throughout history, what you learn is that our type of money has fallen apart every time it's been tried in history. So let's just talk about not all of monetary history, but let's talk about the dollar. What is the dollar? When was the dollar born? What is the dollar backed by? And what did other currencies that were similar to the dollar before do when they were at a point that the dollar is now at? Okay, so first off, the grand scheme of things is you have commodity money where there's something that has some scarcity like gold, for example, and you can have money that's backed by gold or you could use gold directly as money, as gold coins. Right. And the interesting thing is that if you find a gold coin from 100 years ago or 500 years ago, that gold itself has a value. Even though that money isn't being used anymore. Yeah, or it can be used like as money Roman as far as it's still, something. yeah, like a Roman coin still has value. Right. Some of it might be the collector's value, but some of it's actually the commodity value. So commodity-backed currencies always have at least the value of the commodity itself. Then you have this, on the other end of the spectrum, a fiat money, and that's basically where a government just says, this is the money, you need to accept it. Now, very rarely are fiat monies just introduced in a vacuum because nobody would trust them. You know, if some emperor or king of the past just went, hey, here's an idea. Um, I'm going to print these little pieces of paper with my face on it. They're not backed by anything, but you have to accept them. People would just continue in history. They That's would a just great way to put it. continue on using, you know, gold because they know there's only so much gold and they know that their coin represents their claim, their tiny little slice of the economy that will always have value because of the intrinsic value of the commodity itself. So the dollar today, if you have to ask the average person, hey, when was the dollar created? They might be like, well, I don't know, 1776? Sure. Was it the Constitution? 1787? Was it 1812? Was it 1913 when the Federal Reserve was created? Was it 1920? Uh, was it? It's actually... The current dollar was born on August 15th, 1971. Now, we're going to go through very briefly what really happened on that day and how you would have experienced it if Nixon wasn't a liar. Okay, how you would have experienced it is 1971, August 15th, Nixon would have gone on TV and he would have said, listen, I'm not going to try to Don't do an do impression. It, yeah. <laughs> Listen, we printed more dollars than it, we we broke our agreement to back our dollars by gold. We printed more dollars. It was a sneaky way of stealing value from the other 95% of the world. There was kind of a, a bit of a, a scam that the United States was playing on the world. We've been stealing value from people by printing money without gold backing. And they found us out, they called us on it, 
and they started wanting to exchange their dollars for gold like we promised them they always could. But we don't have enough gold to make the exchanges because we haven't really been backing our money with gold like we promised. So now what we're going to do is we're going to give all these countries the middle finger, tell them, no, you can't have gold, and no, nobody can have gold. The dollar is hereby, the dollar backed by gold is dead today. And today I'm instituting a new currency, a fiat dollar. That would have been the announcement. But it never would have worked. The reason that didn't happen is because it could not have worked because nobody would trust a fiat money out of nowhere. Where a fiat money is normally born is it starts as a commodity money backed by gold. Everybody trusts it. Everybody uses it because it has a limited supply and therefore real scarcity and value. And then slowly but surely, they just kind of do a little switch. Like the bait is the gold that gets the trust and that gets the stability. And then eventually, what happened in the case of the dollar is instead, here was the statement. We have a really great dollar. Tremendous. Um, the French are trying to manipulate our economy. Those French. And to defend against these bastards trying to mess with our economy, we're going to temporarily stop the convertibility of the dollar into gold so we can just deal with these rascals over in France. It wasn't temporary. It's been going on. It, it never was reversed in almost 50 years. And what happened, though, the dollar, it looked the same after that day. We still called it the dollar. So what happened is the fiat dollar was ushered in on the coattails of the gold-backed dollar. Very sneaky. Yeah. Like you said, from one day to the next, it's not like the dollars looked any different in anyone's wallet. What Nixon did is he made a fiat dollar that hijacked its trust from gold. So up until that point, the dollar was trusted in the global community of humans on Earth because it was backed by the dollar, because it was backed by gold. Then people were already in the routine of accepting dollars and assuming its value. So from 1971 forward, we had this very strange benefit for the United States where everyone agreed back when the dollar is backed by gold to back their currencies all around the world with the dollar. But when we removed the gold backing, we got everyone to just continue to back their currencies by the dollar. So historically, in a normal circumstance, a country with, you know, maybe a couple million people, if it starts printing a lot of fiat money, then it floods the, the country with the supply of that fiat money. It's less scarce. It becomes less valuable. And then they experience hyperinflation or a currency crisis. The U.S. has been able to, and, and let's go back to that, the reason why it loses its value is because the only people using that money are those, say, two million people in that country. Mm -hmm. So when all of a sudden a king, a ruler, a president, a parliament, a, what, a central bank, whatever, whenever fiat money is printed, the newly printed money gets its value from the amount of people who are using that money already. So that money, that currency sitting in a savings account, that currency being used as a denomination for that country's economy, 
That's where the value already is in that country's economy. And then the newly printed money transfers some of the overall economy's value into the newly printed dollar. So what you have is a recipient of value, whoever gets the newly printed money, and the loser of the value, whoever's just in the economy of that country. The United States got a new trick. It realized over time that the uh, United States got the ability to print money, but the whole world is holding and using dollars. So even though the United States is less than 5% of the world's population, the entire world's population have been the losers of value and the, or the source of value that newly printed dollars comes from. So when the Fed prints up uh, some newly printed money and gives it to Goldman Sachs and says, hey, figure out who this should go to, it's a bailout, you know, those are going to be recipients of value. But the source of that value isn't just the American people. It's the global people. For this reason, some people have looked at the 100% historical failure rate of fiat money and then said, well, the dollar is going to be different because it's a global reserve currency. We've never had a global economy. We've never had a global reserve currency. So back to our original point here is Bitcoin is a bet or a hedge. It's a protection mechanism that not only has just been going up in value and being the best performing investment of the 2010 decade, but not only is there just a fundamental case for Bitcoin, it's also a protection against a scenario where the global financial system could fall apart. So in other words, we have this dollar it's a fiat dollar, fiat money. It's coming on 50 years old. I know you've taught about before that, um, and it's known that most fiat currencies have a, you know, a lifespan of about, what, 30 years or something like that. So we're already almost double that with the dollar. So, if th so there's a good chance that something is going to happen to the dollar where it might cease to exist or cease to exist as we know it. And Bitcoin is an opportunity for people to exit the dollar and get into something that's scarce or that's not fiat? Yes. So okay. one thing I just want to point out is the reason that Bitcoin has such tremendous opportunity is because of a psychological or cognitive bias. Okay. Most people don't want to make a bet for something that they don't want to happen. Right. So, so if Bitcoin is a bet that, uh, that pays out in the event of the financial system really falling apart. Nobody wants the financial system to really fall apart. Of course. Right? So a lot of people have a lot of difficulty, but the key is to understand this is insurance. When we say a hedge bet, we're talking about insurance, right? You don't want your house to burn down. That's not why you buy insurance. You buy insurance on your house because you don't want it to burn down, but you understand that it still might. We understand that undesirable things happen in the world, and that's the reason there's an insurance industry. You don't want your house to burn down, it still might, you get homeowner's insurance. You don't want your car to crash, it still might, so you get car insurance. You don't want your life to end early, it still might, so you get life insurance. You don't want the global monetary system to collapse tomorrow, it still might, you get 
money insurance. Yeah. You get you net you get global financial collapse insurance, and that's what Bitcoin is. So you know, there's this sense that you have to all of a sudden, and you know, think about if you're betting on a sports game. Like imagine you know, sports were still going on. Yeah. And then you know, you're heading into next year's Super Bowl, and you've got your team, and then there's the other team, right? You would never place money on the other team, but sports betting isn't your financial plan for success in life. It's a recreational activity, right? But you need a financial plan for your success in life as a fundamental part of your life plan. And, you know, what happens if the other team wins? Well, it's just a game, right? There's, there's no consequences beyond like my team won, my team lost. In the realm of the game of fiat money, this is a game that has your livelihood at stake. This is a game where your future and your family's future is at stake. So it's not about my team versus that team. It's about managing real-world risks. Okay, so how does Bitcoin work? I mean, this is, this is the other area I think that people have a lot of problem with. Bitcoin is a new type of software. Without getting deep in the weeds of the tech understanding, what you need to understand is Bitcoin is a network that runs itself. There's no CEO. Yeah. There's no, no, one, no leader. There's no chairman. There's no leader or controller. Nobody can go to a computer somewhere and change the Bitcoin supply or choose which Bitcoin transactions are processed. It's kind of like the internet. If you can plug into the internet somewhere, you can use it. If you can plug into the Bitcoin network somewhere, you can use it. And how many Bitcoin will there be total? 21 million Bitcoin. 21 million Bitcoin. Obviously, there's way more than 21 million people. Is that enough? It is definitely enough. Okay, so think about it this way. Every, if you're thinking about a Bitcoin like it's a dollar, then you're actually misunderstanding Bitcoin. Every Bitcoin is designed to be like a million dollars. So at a point where a lot of people would be using the Bitcoin network as its own, it's not just a currency, it's a financial system, okay. right? Because if you pull a dollar out of your wallet, it's just a piece of paper, okay? You still, you know, most uh, dollars are actually digital, right? So now it's just an entry on your phone or your online account on the internet, right? But when you go to, the, the dollar is connected to its own financial system. The reason that a dollar is valuable, because if I give you a physical dollar, then there's a system behind that where you can go to your bank and deposit it. There's a system behind that where if you deposit it in the bank, you can go use a little plastic card somewhere else. And it's all connected into a financial system. So the dollar isn't usable without a financial system. Bitcoin isn't just a currency. It's a whole financial system. It's not just an alternative to the dollar. It's an alternative to the Federal Reserve. It's an alternative to borders and countries. You know, if you go try to do business across a border, you're going to all of a sudden run into a lot of friction. The Bitcoin network pro processes cross-border transactions no matter what. There's no forms you have to fill out or anything else like that. The, the Bitcoin network is its own financial system. So... You were asking, is 21 million Bitcoin going to be enough? Yes, because it's not actually 21 million Bitcoin. It's 21 million Bitcoin with 
each Bitcoin being 100 million pennies worth. Or you could say, uh, again, Bitcoin is designed to be worth a million dollars. So if you have a whole Bitcoin, what you're doing is you're saying, in this potential financial future where this becomes the new financial system, I want this many millions of dollars. Mm, okay. You can pre-purchase tomorrow's million dollars today for $8,500. Yeah, wow, okay. That's a good way to think about it. So in reality, it's actually more than enough supply and uh, it's divisible down to the penny. And there are ways that the network itself could be updated to be even more divisible. That's kind of deeper tech, but the, the answer is a Bitcoin is 1.0 Bitcoins is designed to be $1 million. That smallest transactable unit that's designed to be the equivalent of a penny is called a Satoshi, or some people call it a SAT for short, S-A-T. So if you have a global population using Bitcoin in the future as the you know, primary financial system, let's say, it's, got, it's not going to be about Bitcoins. It's not going to be like, how many Bitcoins do you want for this cup of coffee? That's like saying, how many millions of dollars does this cup of coffee cost? A cup of coffee should never cost millions of dollars. It's going to cost dollars. Well, a cup of coffee should never cost Bitcoins. It's going to cost Satoshis or fractions of a Bitcoin, just like coffee costs fractions of a million dollars. So again, to put the pieces together, we currently have the opportunity to buy a million dollars of future money for $8,600 right now. Which is wild because, I mean, so today's April 29th. Yesterday it was $7,700. Exactly. Now what's happening is, you know, we did a webinar last week. We're not the only ones talking about this event on May 12th. What happens is every four years, Bitcoin has increased supply scarcity built into its software that can't be changed. So there's a couple of things here. Number one, nobody can stop a Bitcoin transaction. The Bitcoin network processes any transaction. Okay, so that's a big deal because if you're a dissident in Iran, and your political opponents want to cut off your means of communicating with the world and transacting in the economy, then they can cut off your bank account, but all you, can, you can just pull out your smartphone or your computer, and then all of a sudden send or receive money using Bitcoin. And the government can't stop it because it's a new type of computer that is an unstoppable network where all the transactions are processed. It's actually the strongest, most secure computer network in the world, where tens of thousands of volunteers called miners have their computer pitching in to run this network. Any of the miners can be turned off or on or come offline or being turned off by uh, a government. But as long as there are even just two miners in the world, the Bitcoin network will run. So it, it can't be shut down, just like the internet. The internet could have like limited outages, but the internet is always online because it's a system of decentralized nodes. With Bitcoin, what this means is that your transactions are unstoppable. 
It doesn't really seem attractive when everything seems to be going good in boom times or bubble times. But when the bubble pops and you're in a financial crisis, the minute that your old financial system stop proce stops processing your transactions, mm. then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I need that network that pro processes my transactions. Right. So it's supplies limited. But what happens when an asset goes up in value? People are like, wow, maybe I should buy that. You know, people buy stocks for their expectant, for the expectation that they'll go up in value. Mm -hmm. People buy Bitcoin for the same reason too, for the expectation that it will go up in value. You know, if it's a limited supply and less than 1% of the world's population currently uses Bitcoin, what's going to happen if a crumbling financial system leads to 50% of the world's population using Bitcoin. Well, that's when you get multi-million dollar Bitcoin. Yeah, huge price spike or value. So, yeah, so increase. I think you have some questions written down. What are some fun, yeah. some kind well, of beginner questions that people tend to need to know that are stopping them from getting on board with Bitcoin? Sure, so I guess quite simply, first of all, what happens on the halving? What's gonna actually happen? Right, so built into every day in the world of Bitcoin, right now, 1,800 Bitcoins are newly minted every day and given to the volunteers who run the computer network and contribute to its secure function. Those miners, as they're called, the, the miners or the owners of the computer that are run, the computers that are running the system, when they get a newly minted Bitcoin, they sell it to pay for the electricity costs. What the Bitcoin miners are really doing is they're converting energy into money. So Bitcoin is also further tied into the real world because it's the only money that has a physical tie to energy. You know, the dollars don't take, uh, it, there's, not a, there's not a like on purpose calculation for converting energy into dollars. And it really takes no energy. Like, if you think about how much energy did it take for the Fed to print up, you know, five, ten trillion dollars for the last couple months? Nothing. Nothing, because these aren't physical dollars. Right. The computers that are uh, involved were already on. Right. They're not using more power because of it. Bitcoin, on the other hand, uh, actually converts energy. You know, it depends on the person running the computer. They could be using energy from. Uh, in their power network, they could be using energy from coal. They could be using energy from a nuclear plant. Some of these computers are running off of solar energy or geothermal energy. But essentially, a Bitcoin also represents the amount of energy that it took and resources in the world to mint that Bitcoin. So back to the halving. What happens is every day, 1,800 Bitcoins right now, today, tomorrow, the next day, every day, 1,800 Bitcoins are newly minted by the network according to its known computer program given to some of the volunteers around the world who run these mines. And then those miners, for the most part, take that Bitcoin and sell it to get the dollars that it takes to pay their energy bill. In other words, that eight, most of that $1,800 worth of Bitcoin ends up for sale in the marketplace. You mean 1,800 Bitcoin? Not Sorry, yeah. yeah. So most of that 1,800 Bitcoin every day ends up for sale in the marketplace, becomes part of the available supply. And the current price of Bitcoin is a function of that extremely stable supply and the demand out there. So on May 12th, what's going to happen is the available... So on May 12th onward, every single day, 
there will be half as much Bitcoin going to miners and ending up uh, for sale in the marketplace. And so when you have lower supply and demand stays the same, price goes up. So 900 Bitcoin will be minted uh, or printed or ex exported or whatever it is every day instead of 1800. So does that mean that the price, I mean, I think I probably know the answer to this. Will the price go up or down after, or after the halving? Well, a lot of very smart people, many, many geniuses have been studying all of the data that's been accumulating around Bitcoin. And about a year ago, a pseudonymous guy by the name of Plan B on Twitter, who's a data scientist, published a pricing model of Bitcoin where what he found is that Bitcoin is tightly integrated with the 365-day moving average of the stock-to-flow ratio. In other words, because this Bitcoin supply is knowable, we can put on a chart the stock-to-flow ratio, and as it turns out, the price of Bitcoin is over 90% correlated to that stock-to-flow ratio. So what the pricing model also discovered is it takes about a year for the Bitcoin price to adjust from the old scarcity to the new scarcity. So after a halving event. Right. So on okay. May 12, 2020, we're going to have a one-year period where the price will generally move upward from, according to the pricing model, which is pretty much the most accurate commodity pricing model in history. Because we know the on day to day to day, we know the exact supply of Bitcoin on any day of the future because it's according to a software program. It's impossible to precisely know the exact supply of oil or pork bellies or gold so we ha because Bitcoin is digital and the supply is knowable, the future supply is knowable, this is very special. Because the future supply is knowable, we have a pricing model that's very accurate. With this, uh, so, so here's what the pricing model says. Right. It says between May 12, 2020 and May 12, 2021, the price of Bitcoin will go from, you know, wherever it is, wherever it starts out. So let's say it stays around this 8,500 will go from around 8500 to $100,000. So more than a 10x gain. So more than a 1,000% gain. And then to think even more long-term as an investor, the next Bitcoin halving happens in 2024. And so from 2024 to 2025, the stock-to-flow model of price predicts Bitcoin will go from $100,000 per Bitcoin to $1 million per Bitcoin. So what we have is a noble future supply, a solid pricing model, and a future value of Bitcoin predicted to be $100,000 after this halving and $1 million after the next halving. Those, that pricing model exists from looking backwards for the last 10 years in Bitcoin where there was no financial crisis. Yeah, I was just going to say, so in if the stock market goes down again, we saw the Bitcoin price go down when we had the crash in, in March. If the stock market goes down again, which a lot of economists think it might, do you think Bitcoin is going to go down too, even temporarily? Well, well let's pause that one for a second and okay. defer it. Forget about the stock market, okay? We're talking about $100,000 Bitcoin in about one year and a million dollar Bitcoin in about five years. Right. 
based on a pricing model that has never gone through a crisis. So that means that is the wild card. Now, in reality, what a financial crisis does is it makes all of these historical precedences of, well, fiat money usually goes through hyperinflation, fiat money usually dies, fiat money usually forces everybody for their means of survival to adopt a new money that they wouldn't have thought of adopting until the old one stopped working, right? So we're in a crisis now where the the chances of, say, in 2020 of the dollar literally failing are higher than they were in 2019. In 2021, maybe even higher. So I'm not saying we know that the dollar is going to fail. What we're saying is if the dollar does fail, if people start to see it failing, then all of a sudden a bunch of people who never wanted Bitcoin will want Bitcoin. Because of the insurance you talked about before. Because Bitcoin is holding its value or going up in value. So just imagine that you are going to work every day and getting credits of one currency and everything is normal, and then all of a sudden one day, nobody will accept that currency for you, or the purchasing power of that currency declines. So now when you're going to buy groceries, the same amount of currency every week will buy less and less food, and your family will starve to death if you don't make a change. So that is what happens in a currency crisis. So if we have a currency, so first off, it doesn't even have to be the dollar. If there are currency crises around the world in these other currencies, which that is inevitable. That's already happened multiple times in the past 20 years with Argentina. It's happened in Turkey. It's happened in Iran. It's happened in Zimbabwe. It's happened in Venezuela. If you go further back in history, it's happened in the United States. So currency crises are normal, and they are almost guaranteed, not almost, they are guaranteed to happen in some of the other countries. So remember, we're only 4% of the world's population. If you look at the other 96% of people on the planet, a lot of them are going to deal with a currency crisis. And in their lives, they're going to wake up and see door number one, starve to death. Family dies, literally. Door number two, get some Bitcoin. It can save your life. Mm. That is the two doors that people in Venezuela had in 2017, 2018. And there are multiple stories. There are books written, articles written about Bitcoin literally saving lives in Venezuela. So a, a money that has a supply cap and holds its value in a, in a currency crisis is a life-saving technology. Bitcoin was a life-saving technology in Venezuela, and it will be a life-saving technology in other countries where people have the internet and a failing currency. And in the chance that that even happens in the United States, now we're talking the whole globe waking up and seeing door number one leading to death and destruction, door number two leading to Bitcoin. So that's um, that's the reason why, you know, our price predictions, we're talking about the supply scarcity, the, the scarcity of supply increasing the price. If we also see a big surge in demand, then we're going to go north of that stock-to-flow ratio model. And already in the past 10 years without a, you know, a global crisis or a dollar crisis, in the past 10 years, what happens is the price starts going up in line with the stock to flow ratio, 365 day moving average. 
but then people start to get greedy and excited mm. and then it goes into a bubble a bubble yeah right so yes bitcoin went into a bubble in 2017 about a year after the you know previous having but the bubble doesn't matter because if you bought bitcoin before that having then you bought bitcoin at about $428 the beginning of 2016 yeah so if you bought bitcoin before actually we'll even we'll even get more precise the having in 2016 happened around July this isn't super precise but around July of 2016 if you bought bitcoin before that, you would be buying it at about $500, let's say. So the halving happened, and then Bitcoin went from being worth $500 to $19,000. That was a bubble. Right. We now know that was a bubble in retrospect. And then it crashed back down to about $3,000. The sensationalist media of morons is focusing on the move from $19,000 back down to $3,000. And overlooking the point that all of the smart long-term holders bought their Bitcoin at $500 or less, it's okay if it goes into a bubble and then crashes down. Look, if wait, you- wait, hold if, on, hold on. So it went from, what I think you're saying is, it needs, what we didn't necessarily look at is it went from 500 to 3,000, which is yeah, a huge- Exactly, if increase. I told you, you could buy an asset for $500 that would be worth $3,000 in two years, do you think that's a good deal? You would say, hell yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what happened. The distraction for all the clickbait, failing mainstream media business is the clickbait that gets more people to click and view and all of that isn't the best performing asset that you didn't buy. Nobody wants to regret not doing something. It's the assurance that the thing that you didn't do, it's no big deal and other people are suffering, right? So the average media viewer feels better that they didn't buy Bitcoin when they hear that it was a bubble and it went from 19,000 to 3,000. What the media is not telling you is that it started out at less than a penny or that two years before it popped down to 3,500, it was at 500. Right, that's such good perspective. Right, so now here we are at the same technological crossroads we were in in about July 2016. And every time a halving happens, the supply scarcity is increasing just a little bit more. Uh, so without a change in demand, you know, we think Bitcoin will be worth 100,000 in a year. We think Bitcoin will be worth a million in five years. With an increase in demand, there's no limit. Especially you, in times of financial crisis. You could have $10 million Bitcoin and it wouldn't even necessarily be Bitcoin. You could have $10 trillion Bitcoin because Bitcoin can be increasing in real value while the dollar is losing its network value of acceptance around the world. So what other questions do you have that people often ask about Bitcoin? Where, so, so here we are. What is it? It's an opportunity to buy the best performing asset of the last decade where we have overwhelming evidence that it could be the best performing asset of the next decade. The next element of what is it opportunity is that this is an asymmetric risk, right? So in 2016, you had the opportunity to buy $500 Bitcoin 
What's the worst that could happen if you bought one Bitcoin? It goes to zero, you have zero dollars. And how much would you lose? $500. What really happened? You ended up with $3,000. Or if I bought $500 Bitcoin in July of 2016, now I have $7,700. Right. So the question is, what does the probability of the asset going up need to be if the upward movement is many times bigger than the downward move. So another thing about this is that people have a really tough time. Our brains think in terms of linear movements, you know, like I'm gonna walk two steps and then if I walk two steps more, I'll be twice as far. But when you have an exponential asset, if the growth of that asset, if you think about like that like steps, your first two steps uh, are going to go a certain distance and then the next two steps are gonna go more than twice as far. Right. So like if you if I say every step you take is twice as long as the first one, you know, like 20, 30 steps, you will have walked all the way around the world. So our, it doesn't make any sense to our brain. So right. what happens is when people look and they go like, is there a chance the Bitcoin network could fail? Yes, there is. It's a small chance. OK, then people go, Ugh, I really don't want to lose my eighty seven hundred dollars I could put into Bitcoin today. But if you can gain nine hundred and uh, $992,000 from an $8,700 bet, isn't it worth it? Well, th the answer is yes, as long as there's a small percentage chance of this. And so what I feel like is there's a large percentage chance that this pricing model holds up. There's a decent chance that it will do even better because of an increase of demand in the continued unfolding of the financial crisis. And so the upside is, so let's just look at the, the million dollar five-year price target. We've got $8,000 Bitcoin. That means you could lose $8,000. Mm -hmm. The upside is, let's say, million dollar Bitcoin. So that's $992,000, right? So your upside is 124 times bigger than your downside. So as long as your risk of loss isn't 124 times greater than your uh, chance of gain, then this is a bet that statistically you should take every single time. This is a casino that if they had this table and they had this bet, going and making this bet is the most profitable thing you've ever had a chance to do in your life. And you don't make it because it's a sure bet. You make it because the odds are in your favor. Think about it. The, the, the casino has the odds in their favor because every time you place a bet, there's like a 51% chance that they'll win and a 49% chance that you'll win. And playing that bet over and over will build a bunch of really expensive buildings and make wildly profitable businesses for the owner of the casino. The odds of just, for as any person who just goes and gets some Bitcoin, the odds with Bitcoin are more in your favor than the odds of starting a casino. And it costs more than $8,000 to start a casino. Just for those odds, people still do it because it's wildly profitable. Every person on this planet has the opportunity to take a small piece of what they have, not a big piece, that would be crazy. This is still a risky bet. Take a small piece, make a small position size in your portfolio and have the greatest potential reward for every unit of risk it's the best performing asset of the last 10 years. I think it's going to be the best performing asset of the next 10 years. And it's not risk-free, but it is worth 
the risk. Now, this isn't investment advice, of course. We don't give investment advice. Uh, but this is a compelling call. And now let's remember, I made this call when Bitcoin was at $70. I came out and made it again when Bitcoin was at $600. I came out and made it again when Bitcoin was at $1,200 and $1,800. And I'll be honest, on the bubble side of things, I was still buying Bitcoin when it was at $12,000, okay? But because I've been uh, buying Bitcoin constantly for six or seven years, it didn't matter that it was in a bubble. This is the best asset you could dollar cost average. Right. Because the upside is so much bigger than the downside. It's very volatile, but upward volatility is called profit. So when somebody says, oh, it's volatile, do you want it? The question is, well, how much of the volatility is making money versus losing money? Upward volatility is profit. Downward volatility is losses in terms of with respect to when you bought in. Okay. So Bitcoin is an asset that has historically and the pricing for the future predictions way more upward volatility than downward volatility. So what do you do? You take some small percentage of your portfolio. I don't know if it's 5%. I don't know if it's 10%. I don't know if it's 2%. I don't know if it's 15%. But you decide that on your own. And you decide what amount you want to put into Bitcoin and you find a good way to put it into Bitcoin and then you hang on for the ride because there's going to be short-term short volatility where it's going to go down and it's going to go up. But when you start looking at multiple multi-year periods of time, so far the precedent is if you're looking at three plus year periods, it doesn't matter when you bought in. It doesn't matter when you bought in. It always goes That's up. That's a great lesson. And that... It, and if that holds true further, which it already has, every time period in Bitcoin's history, three years after the December peak of 2017, if Bitcoin is higher than 19,000, then that will hold true again. I think there's a pretty good chance that will hold true again. So it actually doesn't matter when you, what price you buy Bitcoin as long as you're buying Bitcoin before mass adoption occurs. And this is the next thing, the next mental struggle is that people go, but there are still some you know, problems with Bitcoin. Bitcoin still needs to be developed a little bit more be before it can become a really great financial system. That's true. That's true. But did you want to buy Amazon before it had all the warehouses? Did you want to buy Amazon before it had Amazon Web Services? Did I you want to buy to, Microsoft? Did you want to buy Microsoft before it was the standard for operating systems and computers? Did you want to buy Apple before they came out with the iPhone? Look, if you, as an investor, if you want to buy things after they've fulfilled their potential, then you will lose money, okay? But if as an investor, you want to buy things that are going to make money, then you need to buy things where the payoff for the continued trend the payoff for the likely future is very big compared to your investment. And from that perspective, Bitcoin was the best investment in the last 10 years. It'll probably be the, the best investment in the next 10 years. So um, yeah, there are some problems. You're going to hear about scaling problems. You're going to hear about some future threat of quantum computers. You're going to hear about uh, all kinds of things. Okay, Gold isn't perfect either. Gold has an $8 trillion market cap and you can't even uh, store it on your iPhone. I mean, 
you could have an app that sort of has access to gold, but like gold itself as a physical substance can't be instantaneously beamed across the world in 10 minutes like Bitcoin can. And its market cap is 20 times bigger than Bitcoin's. That's because gold has had time for the market to catch up with its real value proposition. Bitcoin has the majority of the um, the majority of the adoption of Bitcoin has still yet to happen. Is it guaranteed? No. Are the is the upside way bigger than the downside? Still, yes. Any other questions? Well, uh, yeah, I guess what can a listener do or how can they make it work for them? What are your suggestions? Okay, so that's actually part of part of the uh, the challenge. The most important imperfection of Bitcoin right now is it's still actually challenging to hold. The fact that nobody runs the Bitcoin network also means that the security of the asset is paramount. If you hold a dollar in your bank account and somebody hacks into the bank, because dollars don't have a limited supply, somebody on the banking end can just enter the dollars back into your bank account by a keystroke. That's easy money. Easy money is easy to replace if it gets stolen. Bitcoin and gold are hard money. They're hard to replace. Nobody can just enter a keystroke and replace your, your lost Bitcoin if it gets stolen. So the security of Bitcoin is something that is still over the head and beyond the capabilities of the average user. Most places you could go to buy Bitcoin are places that you could lose your Bitcoin to hacking or losing your passwords. And you kind of are your own worst enemy if you're not a cryptographer. So uh, that means that what you need to do, so I don't think trading Bitcoin is very good for people. Uh, it's very stressful and most people lose money, even if they're an experienced trader. Sure. Okay. Cause it's a small market and a whale can come in and move the market either way. Okay. Plus if you've got an asset that has grown 9 million percent in price, then that's more profit than you can probably make from trading. So in other words, over the long term, it pays more to just hang on to the asset. So you don't need trading. And if you don't need trading, you just need the safest place to hold it. Um, there's some various storage options. Uh, we've created a solution for that, and we teach about that on our webinars as well. Um, you know, we don't want this podcast to just be a, a pitch. It's not a deep dive into the storage solutions or anything. But just today, the goal is to understand the case for Bitcoin and why even though you might not completely understand Bitcoin in the next two weeks, you should maybe still make an educated risk by placing some small position into Bitcoin. And I think the most important thing is to let professionals store it. Now, there are a lot of places you can go to store Bitcoin and have professionals involved. Uh, we created one and partnered up with uh, some various partners and vendors to create a really easy solution. And um, you can reach out to us to learn more about it. Or you can join our webinars where we talk about how it fits in your portfolio in a deeper dive. Uh, we have a webinar coming up. Uh, you can go to neighbors.com forward slash crisis. By the way, this is the registration page for the webinar that we started teaching in September of 2019 when we said there's a crisis coming. Here's what we see. Uh, we didn't see the virus being the popping of the bubble and the instigator of the crisis, but we did see the crisis coming. Uh, we have a pretty good grip on where things are going, so we're continuing to teach these webinars. Our goal is to try to teach them every week, uh, but you got to understand, joining the webinar in six weeks or six months, the price of Bitcoin is likely to be $20,000, $30,000 at, at those points. Uh, so 
join the next webinar by going to neighbors.com forward slash crisis and register. And the webinars are free, by the way. I know a lot of people charge, you know, $100 for a webinar or something like that. Um, we put our webinars out for uh, free because we think this education should not be behind a paywall. Anything to add, Rachel? No, I think that that's great. Okay, so a lot. listen, if you have any questions about this uh, Bitcoin thing, we're going to do at least a few, a handful of podcasts between now and the halving event, which is scheduled for May 12th. And it's going to go off on May 12th, no matter what, um, with the Unstoppable Computer Network. Submit your questions by going to selfdirectedlife.com and click record a voice message. Make sure you subscribe as well. You can do that at selfdirectedlife.com. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, leave us a review. Leave us a five-star review on Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever your preferred platform is so we know how you're liking what we're doing so far. Awesome. Yes, looking forward to your feedback, your further questions, your subscriptions, your five-star reviews, and we can keep this thing going and pack as much value as we can for you. Thanks. Have a great day. Put Bitcoin in your portfolio before May 12th. Not investment advice. Talk to you in the next one. Mm -hmm.